Welcome to the Life Story Coach Podcast, where you'll hear interviews, tips, and advice on the craft and business of personal history and life story writing with your host, Amy Woods Butler. Hi, friends. Welcome to the first episode of Occasionally. Um, I'm not sure how often, but these are going to be shorter episodes where we can really delve into the nitty gritty. So really focus on practical topics. And today that's going to be on file naming conventions. I know it's dry and it's boring, um, but it's only boring until you realize that you haven't used a system to name your files and your folders and everything goes haywire. And I'm speaking from experience, unfortunately. That's exactly what happened to me when I first started in this, this business and I had a project that I was doing for a man. Thankfully, it wasn't a paid project. Um, it was one of the things that I always recommend people do. I was starting to um, do it just as a sample. So I would have a sample at the end. Um, so it was unpaid. This guy had agreed to let me interview him and uh, do a book about him. And we did quite a few interviews. And at the time, I didn't realize that there was any need. You know, we don't know what we don't know. I didn't realize that there was a need to have a regular um, and consistent way of naming my files. I thought, as long as I'm logical in what I name them, I'm I'm good. Well, that didn't work out. And not only, you know, was I naming things according to the date, but then the date would be wrong and I wasn't putting them all in the same places. So it was, it was bad for two reasons. One, I just did not feel like a professional, um, which I guess at that point I wasn't. Um, but two, I spent so much time. I burned an awful lot of time trying to, to get things where they belong, trying to see what I had and what I didn't have. And I never really got it completely straightened out. So if you don't have a convention that you follow for naming your files and folders, now is the time to start. And I'm going to walk you through the way that I do it. Not that you need to follow the way that I do it, but it's just going to give you an idea of how it can be done. And you can modify it, apply it to your own uh, business, however you want to use it. And if you already have a system, then this episode is not for you. You're you're doing well. And, and yeah, you don't even need to listen. So, okay, First, we're going to start off with um, just looking at the hierarchy of how I um, store all of my folders and my files. I use Dropbox, um, so everything is stored in the cloud. And um, you know, for there's there's a couple principles that I want you to keep in mind when you're thinking about how you're storing your things, how you are labeling your files and folders, and that is um, for one thing, it's redundancy. So. You know, I use Dropbox, but I also have CrashPlan, and um, that's a that's a paid service. It's a backup service, um, and then with Dropbox, of course, you have all of the things locally on your computer as well as stored on the cloud. And that's really nice because I keep everything in there. And the list has grown very long because I keep work things, personal things. And when I'm done with a project, a work project, and I don't need to have it on my my laptop or my desktop anymore, then I can go into the selective sync in Dropbox and I can uncheck those folders that I don't need to see locally anymore. So they're still being stored, they're still in the cloud, but they're not taking up space on my computer. And you have to do that if you work off of more than one computer, each computer has its own selective sync preferences. 
Um, okay, so in Dropbox, um, I, this is just a quick and easy tip because I store everything in there and I have an awful lot of files for all of my client folders. Um, for each each client, I have one main folder and I start that with a hashtag. That way, all of the client folders are bumped up to the to the top of, of the list of folders that I have. So I can very easily see them. Um, and for that, I just have the hashtag and the person's last name. Um, if I am working on two, you know, a, a, like a married couple, then I'll have um, the first name as well. Okay, so within a client's folder, there's a few that are standard that I have for all of my clients. One of them that we'll start with is the interviews and transcripts folder. Now, here's where the the element of redundancy or the principle of redundancy comes into play again. When I sit down and have a recording with a client, um, I, the first thing that I do after we do the sound check, when I hit the record button, I say the date and the first name of the storyteller. So hit the record button, say, today is such and such a date. I'm sitting here with Joe um, or Mary or whoever it is. And then we launch into the interview. Now, I want to have that at the very beginning of the recording because if I do need to figure out what I'm listening to, I don't want to have to wait five minutes into it and try to find it. And then when I go to name that recording, so that's an MP3. I record all of my interviews in MP3 to use WAV file is just it's unnecessary and it takes up too much memory. Um, that's for recordings that are going to a transcriptionist. Now you can make the argument that you might want to use WAVE sometimes if the end product is going to be an audio. Um, so if, if you're doing an audio project, but that's a discussion for a different day. So for transcripts, though, I record an MP3. And when I go to name it, then I, um, I start with the first name and then the date. So it's going to be, say, Steve... 2 May 2018.mp3. Now, I specifically only use the first name on both the recording and the file name. And that's something that I only recently started doing. Um, and just as an aside, once you put your naming convention in place, be open to letting it evolve because you're going to find some things that work better as you, as you, you know, keep working and things that you need to change around. Just make sure when you do make a change that you stick with it consistently. Any naming convention, the whole reason for having it is to have consistency. So that's the second of the principles that I was talking about. So redundancy, consistency, and simplicity. So getting back to why I only use the first name, um, I used to only use one transcriptionist. Now I've been sending them mostly to rev.com just because it's very, very inexpensive. I don't know who's doing the transcriptions. And as an element of um, privacy, just to protect the the storyteller's privacy, I'm only using first names, like I said, on the recording when I'm introducing them and on the file name. Now, this is probably something that I need to look into because I don't know what the... Um, what the privacy laws are or what rev.com if they have any kind of privacy guarantee i probably should look into that a little bit more pat mcneese over at writersandeditors.com may have published something on this um, she has a huge website with lots of really good 
information for anybody doing any kind of life story projects and any kind of writing projects in general. Or I guess I should probably even just contact Rev and see what they have to say about it, about their privacy policy. At any rate, I'm using first name only now. Okay, so that's the interviews and transcripts folder. Um, Oh, okay, so I put the MP3 in that folder. And then when I get the transcript back from my transcriptionist, generally, it's going to be a docx file. And it has the same exact name as the mp3 file, only a different um, file ending name. So one is mp3, one is docx. And I work on a Mac. Um, One of the things that you can do on a Mac, if you have the finder window open, so it shows you all of your different files in in any given folder, um, you can click and add a color tag. And that's what I do. I use yellow for anything that has been processed. So uh, processed means different things according to what kind of file I'm talking about. But if I have a docx with a yellow, then I know um, in inside the interviews and transcripts folder, then I know that I have added that transcript to the master file that I work from. And I'll talk about that a little bit as, as soon as we get over to that part of it. Okay, so interviews and transcripts, I simply have the um, the MP3s and the transcripts, and they're both named the same way, first name and then the date. Okay, going on, um, let's see, the next big folder that I have for every client would be the um, drafts delivered. And for that, I have any um, PDF that of the draft that I've sent to the client. So the way that I work is they're getting drafts as we go along, not after every interview, but after several interviews. And by definition, it's always going to be a partial draft. Sometimes it includes all of the interview material um, up to the you know, up to that point. Sometimes if the interviews have gotten a little ahead of me, then I will do a draft up to a certain time period. And there may still be interview material that's left over, but I let them know that, you know, this is a partial draft. And the reason I like to do this is because I want them to see what they're getting as we go along. If we need to make any big corrections, you know, if the voice isn't quite right, if, um, if we're going in a direction that they don't like, then it's easier to correct at the beginning than it is after the book is completed or the first draft is completed. Now, I've never had to make any wholesale changes like that, but you never know. Okay, so what I like to have is every time I give them a draft, and like I said, I do it as a PDF, um, I put that into this drafts delivered folder. And the way that I name that is first name, date, draft. And then it's a it's always going to be a PDF. The reason I do PDFs is because I print them off, I combine them, and then I give them to the client to mark directly on the paper any corrections or deletions, any kind of additions that they want to make. I don't like using um, track changes in, in Word. Uh, I think it just becomes a very big mess. I like to have things on um, a hard draft. And I think my clients prefer it that way, too. Okay, so that's all of it is entailed with the drafts delivered folder. Now, one of the bigger folders where the naming convention is really important is in the scans folder. So for every client, I have a folder, I name it with their name and then scans. Um, And within that, I have 
all of the images that they've given me to scan. Um, and I also have one document, and the document is the scan list. So that document I name with their first name, or I'm sorry, with their uh, with their name. Usually it's their last name. I'm the only one who's going to be seeing this or the person that I have doing the scans. So it's their last name, scans, and then that's a pages document because like I said, I work on a Mac. And then each scan I name um, with the initials, their first and last name, small letters, and then start with 001. And then obviously it's going in as a JPEG. So for instance, it would be um, sh zero zero one dot jpeg um, and then the next one obviously would be sh zero zero two and so on um, i use those three digits because i can go all the way up to 999 scans not that i have ever even gotten close to that but very often it you know i will have more than 100 scans not that they'll all necessarily be going into the book. And that brings me to another point. Um, I use Bridge, Adobe Bridge. So I could change the names of the scans on the, the window that pops up when I have my scanner open, but that would be very laborious. So what I do instead is I just let it tell it, it names it scan one, scan two, scan three. And then as they pop up in bridge, so I have bridge open on one side, and then I have the scan um, pages document open on another side, all on the same monitor. Um, as they pop up in bridge, I rename them. So using the convention that I just said with the, the initials and the number, um, and then I add it to the scan list, which is just the document. Um, and as I'm going, then I can look at the photos after they've been scanned and put any information on the scan list document. Um, so if I'm having somebody else do this for me, they can only do what's written in the borders or on the back of a photo, or if it's in a photo album, if, if there's any notations on the actual photo page. Um, and in that case, I have them put it in quotation marks so that I know that this is primary source, right? This is somebody who wrote on the photo themselves. If I'm doing it myself, or when I go back and look over the ones that somebody's, you know, that I've subcontracted out, then I'll put any information that I know about the photos. It's obviously just really important to make sure that what you're naming the photo as they're coming through on the scanner, um, that it matches what you have on the photo list. Now, within the main scan folder, I also have an online scans. Um, and I use that for any images that I've pulled off of the computer. So um, if I find something, you know, if I'm doing some research and I find pictures on Ancestry, or if I'm doing historical research and I find some images that would work really well in the book, you know, they're not part of the, the client's own collection, but it would work well in the book, then I'll pull those off. I name them the exact same way, except that I add a, uh, a letter Oh, so it would be, for instance, the the sample or the example that we were saying S H O zero zero one S H O zero zero two. So the O just obviously stands for online. Um, now, 
you can put whatever you want that may make it into the caption, um, that may just be a description of what the what the image is. But for the online images, I highly recommend that on your scan list. So again, I I also have a separate scan list for the online images. Um, always copy and paste the URL that you got that image from onto the scan list under that photo's um, name. The reason you want to do that is because you're probably going to have to go back and get permissions for, for some of the images that you'd like to use. And you won't remember where you found them. Um, it's much easier to, to go ahead and, and document that while you have the, the image open online. Okay, and other than that, it's best to put a little bit of a description. You don't want to have just a URL because when you're looking, if you're looking just at the the um, document that shows the list of online scans that you have, you want to kind of figure out what you have. Now, another reason for using Bridge is that you can open one folder, the scans folder, and see all of the images that you got from the client. A second reason that I really like having it is because when I get near the end of a project and they've given me all of the photos that they have and might potentially want to use, I print off contact sheets. And I can, if anybody's interested, I can walk you through how, how to do that. Um, I'm not going to get into it right now, but I, I use really heavy stock glossy paper that's legal size. And I print off contact sheets and then, um, with the image, it actually has the image name, so that that initials plus zero zero one um, dot jpeg, and then I will print off a cleaned up version of the image list, and that's we'll go through those together. They'll decide which photos they actually want to use, and we'll put a big X through the ones on the contact sheet that they know that they do not want to use, um, and that's a way for us to also start talking about what the captions should be and having them proofread what the captions are. So that's it for the scan list or for the scan folder. Um, now, you might be wondering why I'm not talking about the drafts folder. And there's a very specific reason for that. I used to keep a drafts folder for each client. And obviously, that was the main thing that I worked out of. I don't do that anymore because now I use Scrivener exclusively for doing the drafts. So if you don't know what Scrivener is, I highly recommend that you check it out. It's It's been a game changer for me. Um, it's a, a writing program. It's really inexpensive for what you get. It has lots of bells and whistles. And, you know, the longer you use it, the more of those that you'll start using, start working into your workflow. Um, but for me, the biggest game changer was the fact that on the, um, the editor, the screen where you write, you can have a split screen, and you can show all of the transcript material on one side and the, the draft, the working draft on the other. Um, and I plan on doing some episodes about that just because I think it's an immense help. If you've never used it, I really would like to introduce you to it. And if you have used it, I'd love to hear how you're using it because I'm sure everybody has their own way. So that's just one main document within the client's folder. It's just a .scriv document. It's really a project, and it has lots of files within it. 
but it's the only thing that I now have for a draft, for the working draft as I'm going along. Like I said, I have the PDFs that I print out. I compile on Scrivener and print out and give them to the clients. I can go back and look and see the word count for each of those. I can see when I gave them to the client, and that lets me gauge the progress of the draft as we're going along. So the next time I give them a new draft, I know how many ads have been worded, um, how many words have been added. And I think that's it. Obviously, there are, well, there's always going to be a research folder. And I'm not going to talk about naming conventions with that because there are none. Um, There's just, there's nothing uniform from one project to the next with the research files. So um, I don't really have a naming convention for that. I do try to use really good descriptions. And like I said, I use the yellow for things that have been uh, processed. So if I know, if I get some, uh, maybe some old letters from a client, and I want to make sure that they are in Scrivener where I'm going to be accessing them, then I'll turn those yellow on the the Mac Finder uh, view as well. Um, and other than that, you know, you're always going to have some odds and ends, some things that are different from one client to the next. But as much as you can, I would suggest that you implement a naming convention. It's going to make your life a lot easier. It's going to keep things organized for you. And the last of the principles that I was talking about, so we talked a little bit about redundancy. You want to make sure that you have different things written in different places, written the same way so that you can find them. Um, Consistency, it's all about being consistent with how you name these things. It doesn't really matter what system you use as long as you're consistent with it and it makes sense to you. And the other thing is simplicity. So when you are deciding on how to name your files and your folders, keep it as simple as possible. Um, but no simpler, as somebody much smarter than me said once. There's no need to overcomplicate things. What you're trying to do is keep things streamlined and organized so that you can put your hands on any given file at any moment. You know where it is. And if it gets lost, you know how to find it because you know how you've named it. I hope this has helped. And I think what I'm going to do is create a PDF that just shows you on paper, well, on screen, exactly how I do these names. Um, it might be a little bit easier to see. So if you want to download that, head over to thelifestorycoach.com, look for episode 20, and I'll have that PDF link in the show notes. And If you have any ideas on how you can improve this system, or if you do something completely different and it's working great for you, I would love to hear from you. Just head on over to episode 20 at thelifestorycoach.com and leave some comments in the comment field. And if this has helped, as always, I would love to have a review from you on iTunes. Take care and I will see you next time. Until then, go out and save someone's story.